All right, so uh, the reason I wanted us to take a look at that today is because we've been uh, going through a series uh, that I've been calling The Acts of the Holy Spirit. And, and God's presence, right, is often given uh, different names throughout the Bible. And, and most frequently in the New Testament, he's referred to as the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see him do something today that will feel unusual to us, where it's a little bit perhaps more drastic than we'd even probably feel comfortable with, uh, but that's okay. And, and I, I'm going to hopefully communicate this as best as I can. And regardless if I do or don't, uh, I, I hope that you continue to investigate uh, who God is and, and how he feels about us. And, and so in, in terms of the Holy Spirit, we've, we've been following this story where Jesus, right, came to earth. He lived this perfect life. He, he showed people what the heart of God was like. He demonstrated, right, that, that God was this father who, who loves us and desires to invite us into relationship with him. And, and part of that problem was that this holiness issue, that we and all people, right, have done things in which we've rebelled against God and chosen to do things our own way instead. And then Jesus makes this sacrifice where he chooses to die the death that, that we deserved so that we could be forgiven, that we could actually be the righteousness of God. We could be the holiness of God when we find ourselves in him, right? And that sounds like way more uncomfortable to us than, than we would, you know, want, right? Because we, we don't like to think of ourselves like, I wouldn't describe myself as, as holy because even as followers of Jesus, we still, we still mess up, right? And, and we even know like in our hearts, like never mind, you know, just the things that do actually make it to the surface that maybe other people can see, but we know just kind of what's in our hearts and the thoughts and intents that we have that sometimes are just, right, completely against what God would want us to do. And, and so after Jesus dies and, and rises again, which he had predicted he would, uh, he then hangs out for 40 days and, and equips, right, his followers and sends them on mission. But one of the good things is that the, the mission that he gives the church, right, uh, although it's way bigger than we could handle, uh, because he, he asks us basically to be the light to the world, the same light that Jesus was when he was here. Right? He asks us to go into all of the world and share this good news that God wants relationship with all people, right? that God desires that no one would perish, but that all people would come into relationship through repentance right? and through trusting in, in Jesus. And this is a bigger task than we can handle. Even when we all work together, we can't accomplish this on our own. And so Jesus told us that he would empower us and equip us with his very presence, the Holy Spirit. That, that Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on his church, and the Holy Spirit is the current acting member of the Trinity, which I realize is a difficult idea for us to get used to anyway, uh, but, but it's, it's God working on the earth right now. And he works through all of us, right? That he, he's not just exclusive to some of us. He's not exclusive to those who have maybe studied the Bible for decades He's one that is willing to work and come into the life of any believer, any person who's trusted 
in Jesus. And so we've been looking at the early church and how he's been working through them to bring this message of hope, right? To even deliver people from darkness, whether it was like sickness or disease or sin, right? That he's working through the church the same way he was working in Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so we left off last week, uh, we read this passage where as the result of God's work in the church, people, right, are coming together and being a community. That God didn't only want us to have relationship with him, he wanted us to have relationship with each other as well. That that was a gift that he's given us in each other. And we actually saw this really cool thing where the people of the family of God respond to each other's needs by giving generously. And this is really cool. So we're gonna, I'm gonna briefly read the end of that and then we'll see where that very act gets uh, distorted and corrupted uh, and, and it's kind of sad. But don't worry, it's gonna work out. It's gonna work out. So Acts chapter four, I'll have the verses up on the screen so you can follow along and here we go. Uh, so it says, there was not a needy person among them. So it's describing the, the community of the church. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Right? So there's this beautiful moment where the family of God comes together and they're like, right, you're my brother or you're my sister in Christ. And then when you realize that someone's in need, you treat them like you're well, maybe like you treat your brother or sister, I hope, right? Where you would be like, hey, if you've got a need, I'm going to give up some of what I have so I can meet that need. And what is so cool about that is that God could have just miraculously multiplied bread and fish, right? God could have just like rained down manna and provision from heaven, but he chooses to work through us, right? That's actually a blessing, not just to the person receiving the gift, but as Paul says in the New Testament, that it's, it's actually better to give than to receive. That our being able to partake in sharing with others is a gift that God gives to us. Because yeah, he could just be like, actually, I don't need any of you. I'll just do this for everybody and whatever, right? But no, he invites us into working with him. And then they give a specific example. It says, thus, Joseph, in verse 36, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So I just think this is kind of cool. Like they're in their community, they got like nicknames for each other. Like, hey Barnabas, what's going on? And like literally just means like son of encouragement. Like look at that guy. Every time you come around here, Joseph, you are just so encouraging. Thank you for being here. I just really needed to see you this week, right? And like, so they just got like nicknames for each other. And uh, it says he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet in order to, right, meet the needs of other believers. <clears throat> but, so chapter 5, verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Sounds great. This is good, right? This is great. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. There's actually nothing wrong with that, right? That's perfectly allowed, as Peter will point out in a moment. And, right, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So far, there's actually nothing wrong with what's been described, okay? Uh, that you don't have to give everything, right, unless God's actually asking you to give everything, right? Uh, and I don't know, like, you know, maybe you've had that awkward moment of like, oh, I wanted to give into an offering, but then, like, I only have a 20 
and you're like, but there's a five right there. Like, like that, that awkward moment of, uh, like, I'm not stealing, I'm just, I was just exchanging, I wasn't ready to give the full 20, I just want, you know, like, so, <laughs> right, that's okay, that's okay. Uh, and what he did here could have been all right. Except what's interesting is the, the presumption, the, the, the way he was presenting it ends up being the problem. So verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Whoa, whoa, like, like, so it's interesting, first of all, that Peter even knows this, right? That Peter was somehow clued in to what was happening. Uh, but he actually identifies that something about what Ananias was doing was wrong. And it wasn't that he, he only gave a portion, but in how he was doing it, he was lying to the Holy Spirit. He says to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He's like, this was your land, right? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? That was your money. So Peter doesn't have a problem with the fact that he only gave a portion. He's like, you didn't even have to give anything, right? This was your thing to do with as you, as you felt led, as you pleased, right? And he says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So, so this is interesting. On the surface, like if we were at church that day, we would have seen like Barnabas, you know, Joseph go up and and like give and do the same thing. And then we see Ananias kind of do the same thing. And we're like, yeah, looks great. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is so cool to be a part of a community where people are generous and meeting each other's needs. This is wonderful. But there was something wrong in how Ananias did it. Okay. And perhaps the outcome is way more drastic than you would feel comfortable with. I, in fact, I wager that you probably will be like, what? Like, you'll probably be shocked if you don't know this story, and that's okay. But before I get there, I just want to talk about this idea of, um, of property at first, uh, because sometimes, like, and, and I, I think it can be okay, like, to be a part of a, a group like this, a community like this, uh, but at times people have read this passage and they're like, I think the church should be like a commune where we pool all of our resources together, right? And, and then you're just a part of that community and, and it gets distributed out appropriately. But I do want to point out that they had the belief in property and belongings and possession this whole time. Okay, so this wasn't forced on anybody. This was as they felt led, as they chose, they were like, I'm going to sell what I have. And Peter says, yeah, that was yours. It wasn't like it belonged to the group. It wasn't expected that like none of us own anything. What we have is belongs to everybody. That's not actually what's being described here. They owned possessions, right? He said, and then they even owned the money. Okay, so I, I just want to point that out because I think that's interesting. And, and that's consistent even with the Old Testament, this idea that you can have possessions, you can have property because otherwise if not, then God wouldn't have written the law that says thou shall not steal. It would just be like, just take what's already yours, right? We're all sharing together. You don't need to worry about stealing. And actually, God's not even only interested in the act of taking what someone else has. He actually cares about how you feel, how you think about what someone else has. 
because he also wrote the law in the Ten Commandments that you should not covet, right? That would be have, uh, to have a wrong desire towards what someone else owns, right? That, that you actually have this unhealthy craving and you want it and you feel like you deserve it and you're upset that they have it and you don't, right? That, that God actually has in his law, not only is it wrong to steal, but it's also wrong to have this uh, desire or this greed or jealousy in your heart for what someone else has or for a blessing that God may have given them. Okay, so it's just kind of like an interesting thing. So I just want to point out, right, that the Bible identifies that, right, we can have belongings and that, that we should be generous because there's outlines of that in the scripture clearly, that we should be wise with how we use our money or, or our possessions, right, to, to honor God. Uh, and, and, but at the same time, I, I want to like kind of pose, I guess, multiple verses here so we can kind of understand the concept uh, more broadly. So we do own things, as Peter identified, okay? But also it says in uh, Deuteronomy that God is the one who gave our hands the very ability to prosper. So like, I can't just like feel as though everything I've ever earned, all of my hard work, right? Everything that I've done, like I can't be like, look at what I've done, right? And have this attitude of almost like, I don't even need God. Because look at, I can just do all of this myself. I take care of my little world and my little family, and I do this myself. And God would say, no, actually, the very fact that you have the ability to work is something that I've given you. Or it says in Acts 17, uh, Paul talking that, that every time that there's been, right, rains coming in the spring or, or at the time of harvest, that is God's benevolent grace that he gives towards people. That when, when you have a, a plentiful harvest, like even that is something that God is just demonstrating his love for you in. All right. So, so I just want to point out, like, we don't want to fall back on like, yeah, like I earned this. This is mine. I do with it as I please. And, and, and just to make this, this point, uh, some Christians practice a, an Old Testament uh, tradition of, of tithing, all right, which is to give like 10% of your income. Okay, and that's like a perfectly good thing to do, uh, that in the New Testament, we should be generous as well, okay, giving to ministries or missions or, or different organizations like that. Uh, but sometimes you could fall into the habit of thinking like, I gave God 10%, so now I can do whatever I please with 90, right? Like this is like the bribe to keep God off my back so he can't tell me what to do with the rest. And that's not how it works. All right, that what belongs to God is, is the full 100%, okay? So, so I can't, right, bribe him one way and then spend foolishly or sinfully uh, the rest. That, in fact, I should be seeking God's guidance for all of it, right? And, and that, that's, like, actually such a great place to be, uh, right? Going through different seasons of life when I've had, like, very little and unsure of, like, how am I going to meet these, these bills, it's actually like super comforting to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to try my best to do everything that God's leading me to do. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give to others. I'm going to use the, the car, that, like that 1983 Volvo S80, and I'm going to give people rides as they need them, right? Like the, the, the belongings that I have, I'm going to use to bless others. And I don't have to like solve all of these problems about where this month's rent might come from. I'm just going to trust that if I can do everything I can do, I'm going to trust God with the rest. And he's faithful to provide. 
Amen. Yeah, we've got some, some others that have experienced similar things. All right, so in terms of generosity, right, we can have possessions, but we should be looking to God's spirit to guide us regarding all of it. All right, so just like a little side note, little flavor text there, uh, probably just to delay my getting to the more difficult thing. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but before I do, uh, Peter identified in Ananias that he says that, why have you contrived in your heart to lie to God? And this idea that, that sin is not simply action or words spoken, but sin begins at the heart level, right? It, it begins at a level where no one else can see. And, and I often say this, like the law that I mentioned about thou shalt not covet, only God could write a law like that because he's the only one who can enforce it. Any nation that would say you shall not covet has no way to determine whether or not anyone's guilty of it. They have no way to know what's going on in someone's right thoughts and in their heart. They, they, they can't prove guilt in that regard. But the Bible actually says in, in Hebrews that, that God right, sees us, that we are completely exposed to him, that he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. And in, in terms of sin, beginning at the heart level, Jesus actually said this, that uh, he was in this conversation with these religious leaders in his day, and they were all upset that his disciples weren't like washing a cup in a very particular order that was like a ritual that they would do. And he said, listen, guys, it's not the things you eat that defile you. It's the things that come out of a heart that defile you. He's like, out of a person's heart can come malice and adultery and fornication and lust and greed and all of these issues. It's the problems at the heart of humanity. It's, and it's all of us, right? And that's why Jesus came to make us clean, right? Jesus is the only one through whom we can experience this forgiveness because he takes on our guilt and he makes us holy so that we can be like him, right? He empowers us to live lives following God. And so one of the really cool things about this passage, and maybe you didn't notice, but Peter in one phrase said, lie to the Holy Spirit, and then again said, lie to God. And this passage actually allows us to correctly identify and categorize who the Holy Spirit is. Okay, so like, like maybe up to this point reading Acts, you might have been able to operate under an assumption that the Holy Spirit is simply a force or power, like electricity or something like that. You might have been like, okay, so the Holy Spirit is just God's energy that flows through his people, that it's this impersonal force. But here we actually begin to see, and it does suggest this elsewhere, even Jesus talking in John chapters 14 through 16 and the epistles talk about this as well, that the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is, is He. And even I sometimes, right, I, I'm sure if you scour through my sermons, I've probably said it at times, all right? It's a fumble, all right? Uh, but the Holy Spirit is personal because you can't lie to a force. Right? You don't like lie to electricity or to gravity, right? Like, oh, I'm going to trick that electricity, just you wait, right? Like, no, like that doesn't make sense. That, that can't happen. But even more than just recognizing that the Holy Spirit is personal is that the Holy Spirit is God. And that's like, that's a big leap, right? Like that, like that previously, maybe we had him in a category of 
Maybe he's just like an angel of God, you know, that he's, you know, not in full authority, that he's just some created essence or being that he's, God sent to the earth. But the Holy Spirit is, is God, Amen. right? That the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of Christ, right? He is the spirit of God. All of these phrases, all of these names are given to the Holy Spirit. And here we actually see lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to God, those two things are equated, that we can now feel a little bit more comfortable because I know like when I first start like studying or learning about the Holy Spirit, I'm like, but isn't like God going to get jealous? Like if I'm like focused or spending time with the Holy Spirit in this way, like it almost can feel like, is this idolatry? Like, am I allowed to do this? Like, I, I mean, I'm on camp God, I'm on camp Jesus, but I don't know about the Holy Spirit thing yet, right? And, and we can feel that way, but I just want to point out that the Holy Spirit was, was one with God from the beginning, right? That the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Holy Spirit is involved in salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings us to new life, right? That the Holy Spirit does all of these things. The Holy Spirit is God. And so we don't have to be afraid of like, like, how do I pray in context of the Holy Spirit? Is that okay, right? Or like, am I allowed to like worship? Or what, what does this look like? We, we don't have to be afraid that we're somehow committing idolatry because the Holy Spirit is, is God, all right? So I just wanna, wanna let us feel comfortable with that. So in terms of the Holy Spirit, let's see, did I go too far yet? All right, I'm, I'm catching up. All right, one of the interesting things here is that the Holy Spirit is not simply our buddy, okay? Uh, that the Holy Spirit may be, you might have thought like, because Jesus said that he's our helper. And so you'd be like, that's great, thanks. Like Jesus, I really needed a personal assistant. You know, I really would love just like some heavenly butler that I can just like, oh yeah, go do that for me. Thanks, Holy Spirit, I appreciate it. Right, like, like we might think that the Holy Spirit was gonna be some life coach. And they're like, nah, that's some interesting advice or counsel you've given me, Holy Spirit. I'm going to still do my own thing, but I appreciate the talk, right? Like the Holy Spirit being in the category of God is, is completely different now, right? That the type of help that the Holy Spirit gives, he's helping us accomplish the things that God is calling us to do. He's not just helping me do like my own thing, right? That's completely different. Or, or Jesus also described that the Holy Spirit would be our advocate, Okay, and that's, that's kind of an interesting word. You might think advocate is, is like your, your lawyer when you're in court, someone that's advocating for you, someone that's representing you, someone that's defending you. But the Holy Spirit is not some lawyer that knows that you did the crime and is going to help you get away with it. That's not the type of advocate that the Holy Spirit is. In fact, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that he, when he comes into the world, which he is from our perspective, because Jesus was saying before the Holy Spirit came, uh, that he would actually convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. That the Holy Spirit, although he's our advocate, he will actually say, yeah, you totally did that on purpose. It's like, yeah, but you got to get me off, Holy Spirit. He's like, no, actually, you pre-planned that thing you were just thinking about. Like, I'm like working with your conscience and like, I know what you were trying to do there. Like, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes. You were doing that. It's like, yeah, but I don't like feeling guilty about knowing that I did it on purpose. Like, and the Holy Spirit will completely call you out on that. 
But the way that the Holy Spirit does advocate for you is that, right, he is the lawyer that will basically get you the plea bargain where Jesus paid the penalty so that you can be made clean, right? Jesus paid the penalty so that you can be forgiven, but it does require you saying, yeah, that was me. I com- that was all me. I completely did that. That was my fault. Yeah, I'm disappointed with how horrible that was and that I did it on purpose. Like, Lord, please forgive me. Like, there's still issues in my heart that need your healing, right? And, and so the Holy Spirit is that type of advocate. And one of the cool things about the Holy Spirit is that as we are sensitive to the way that he works, we can make a space, right? We can live a life that is welcoming to him. All right? and, and that the Holy Spirit wants to work and empower the church. And even in this passage, we see the Holy Spirit doing that. That the Holy Spirit is actually revealing to Peter through either prophecy or a word of knowledge, saying like, yeah, that dude Ananias, you've got to talk to him right now. Right, like right now. You need, and so Peter's like, okay, here we go. Uh, because that would be terrifying if like you go to like give in the offering bucket and someone's like, I accuse you of trying to deceive the spirit. And like, you're like, I was just giving him the offering, right? I didn't know. Right, like Peter wasn't making this up, right? He wasn't like psychologically analyzing Ananias from afar, like, I don't think that guy's genuine, right? Like, that's not what Peter was doing. The Holy Spirit must have been the one to reveal this to Peter, okay? Must have, right? Like, that's the only way it could have happened. And, and how do I know this? Uh, one, because Peter doesn't have that perception in, in most of the time, he's a little bit slower to pick things up. Uh, and, and we see that the Holy Spirit does this as well as what happens next. Okay, so here we go. Verse 5, get ready to feel uncomfortable. It's all right. We're all here. All right. So, so Ananias gets called out for uh, lying to God. And watch what happens. Verse uh, 5, here we go. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Like, he's, he's dead. Like, he just died right there. So Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, says, you've contrived the sin in your heart, right? You just lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God, right? Why did you do this? You didn't need to do this. It was your money. It was your land. But why are you, like, setting up this presumption Right? Why are you presenting to yourself, like to everybody, that you are somehow right, this super generous person? You've made this experience, you've made our community about making yourself look good. Right? Why did you do this? And then instantly, the guy dies. Right? Which we haven't had happen in our church yet. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I, I wow. Uh, and it says, right, and great fear came upon all who heard of this, right, that he just died. And then verse 6, it says, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him, right? So they're like, well, I guess this is what God was doing today. Like, let's just, let's just properly bury this guy. This is interesting. Um, and so, right, when I first read this, I was like, whoa, like, God, slow down, slow down. Like, whoa, like... Couldn't we, like, talk about this? Right? That's kind of, like, where we, we think. Like, we think this is a little bit extreme. Right? And so let me, let me see if I can biblically uh, communicate and help us understand a little bit what's going on. And you might, might see kind of, like, the, the reason I played that video today about holiness is for us to understand that God is holy. 
right? That, that the way we treat him should be treating him as holy, okay? Uh, and so first of all, let me point this out. Death is not the worst thing. You might be like, Brian, but you're, you've never died. <laughs> I don't think you know what you're talking about, right? But let me, let me see if I can justify this. Death is not the worst thing. In fact, death will, statistically speaking, uh, happen to almost all people who will ever exist. Biblically, we see like a handful that somehow like dodge that. But for the rest of us, it's everybody, okay? Everybody. Uh, that, that just because someone dies doesn't somehow mean that that person isn't a Christian or that they don't trust God, okay? Uh, that I'll, I'll point out that all of the apostles died. All of them, all right? All of the authors of the Bible, Old and New Testament, died. All, all of them. Okay, uh, that, that, that this death thing, actually, what's, what's worse than death would be uh, disobeying God. Like in, in the case of the apostles, some of them were encountered with the choice of, are you going to deny Jesus or we're going to kill you, right? Like those are your options and they chose to die. They actually felt like, you know what? Obeying God is a, a far better thing to do, right? That's what I'd rather do. Uh, disobeying God would be worse than death. Now, now I've, I've probably already disobeyed God today, all right? You probably have as well. I just want to point that out, right? We still mess up. But I just want to point out that, that every follower of Jesus, most all of them, will, will die. And in fact, just to, just to make us feel even safer, Jesus died. Now, granted, he died for us, right? But, but Jesus died. Now, so death is not the worst thing. In fact, the worst thing would be dying in our sin. Okay, let me, let me show you this. In John chapter 8, uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, uh, he's having this conversation with the Pharisees. Go check it out on your own time if you can. But he says this, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay, that, that the, the worst thing that could happen, right, is, is dying in our sins, where we have not trusted God to forgive us, where we have not turned from living rebellious to God, where we haven't, like, sought him out and, right, had him bring us to new spiritual life, right? That's the worst thing. And, and just in case you're worried about that, like, God is on team not having people die in their sins, all right, that like he's all about that. Like God doesn't want that to happen. It explicitly says that in Ezekiel as well as 2 Peter, right? Like that God doesn't want anyone to perish, right? But that all would come into relationship with him through repentance. So like Jesus, he's saying in this passage, he said, right? Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying like, listen, part of my mission was to come down here so that you don't have to die in your sins, right? That's like the whole reason that Jesus came was so that he, right, the he that he's referring to is he is the Messiah, the one that he's wanting people to, right, trust in to experience forgiveness. And so another thing that's, that's worse than dying is, is living apart from God, right? Dying apart from God is bad, but living apart from God is worse than dying. In fact, Jesus in John 15, he said that we can do nothing apart from him. 
all right? Or, or, or Peter talks about this idea that, that Christians, right, that we do things during our lives, and then when we go to heaven, that everything we did fits into two categories. Either we did this, right, led by God with the right motive and the right heart, or some things as Christians we do, right, with the wrong motive, the, the false intent, or we just flat out do the wrong thing. And Peter actually says that those works, those deeds will be like heaped up and burned. That doesn't mean the person is not saved. The person still is saved. He explicitly makes that clear. But the issue is that none of the things I do apart from God will have any lasting effect. That anything I do apart from God or do with the wrong motive won't make it into eternity. It will not have a lasting good as a result of it, all right? So, so like that's kind of like this interesting, interesting idea. I also want to point out that just because Ananias died doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't go to heaven. We don't, we don't know that. It wasn't like God like withdrew the spirit of life from him uh, because he wasn't a Christian or something like that. Uh, I don't think that was the case. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that's the case, but I think the reason that God did this is it may be, right, that, that this was just like a really high stakes situation, that this was so early on in the culture of the church, in the mission of the church, that like if it starts off as this community of, hey, everybody, look at how great I am, right, like that's completely misaligned with the mission that Jesus was sending the church on. Right? Like, that's completely not what our community is supposed to be about. And, like, this was, like, super high stakes because this is, like, within days of the church being sent on its mission, of the church being equipped with the Holy Spirit. And so, like, it seems a little bit high stakes then because I don't think I know of people that have died in church like this in my lifetime, right? And even if someone was to die, all right, you, got, you don't have to get superstitious. You're like, if you keep saying die in church, it might happen. Like, don't worry, right? God is the author of life. He's sovereign over everything, right? He's in control, so we don't have to be afraid. But I'm just saying, like, we, I don't think I've been able to, I've never seen that, and I'd, I don't think even if it did happen, we'd be able to identify that it was this sort of situation. But the issue is that, that God is establishing his authority in the church, that this community isn't just about the apostles or the people or whatever we vote to decide is like a good idea. Like this is God's community. This is God's family, right? He is holy, right? That the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of us as his temple. And like thinking about like the Old Testament, how they would treat the temple of like full of awe and respect for God's presence, right? Like we need to recognize like, whoa, like, the Holy Spirit is, is God. And like, we don't mess around with that, right? Like previously we might've had the perception of like, Holy Spirit's just my buddy. He like, he gives me superpowers. This is great. Like, look at, heal the sick, bam. Like, this is great, Holy Spirit, right? But like, whoa, Holy Spirit is God, right? Yeah, so, so we don't want to disrespect who he is. And in terms of like church culture, God was not about having his church be phony or, or hypocritical, right? In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, his earthly ministry, the, the people he would correct the most were the Pharisees. And he would say, listen, you guys, when you go and pray, you're praying out on the street corner, not so that people know who God is, but so people know who you are, 
right? Or when you give, like you literally have people like blowing trumpets, look how generous this person is because they gave. It's all about you. It's not about others. It's not about God, right? He actually told them, he says, listen, you do all of these things to try to keep the law perfectly. He says, but you are like a whitewashed tomb, right? You look good on the outside, but inside you are full of death. Right? He's like, this isn't the kind of community I want. And so like Ananias was doing that sort of thing of celebrating and trying to look great on the outside while hiding sin in his heart. And so we, right, should work to create a space, an environment where we welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Not that I think that, right, anyone's going to die in here today, right? But, but the Holy Spirit is unable to work amongst uh, faithless people. In fact, when Jesus went to his hometown, it says in the Bible that he wasn't able to do many mighty works because they didn't have enough faith. They were just like, oh, I know that guy. It's no big deal. It's just Jesus. Like, he's like some carpenter's son. And actually, I don't even think it was legit. Like, I think he was born out of wedlock or something. You know, like, like they, they just like diminished who Jesus was. And then God wasn't able to work much in their community. Right? That, that, that Peter, later on in this chapter, he says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Right? And so, like, we want to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, into our church family, right? Where we're like, okay, God, like, I want to follow you and trust you. Right? I want to pursue you and everything I do. Like, and when I mess up, please point it out to me. And I hope that I have a heart that is quick to repent. Right? Like, we want to obey God. And it's in that life, that type of life, that God is able to move freely. All right, this passage gets more interesting. Let me quickly read it. Uh, verse 7, all right. Uh, so, yeah, chapter 5, verse 7, Acts. After an interval of about three hours, Ananias' wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me uh, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, yeah, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. In verse 11, this is how we feel, right? And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things, right? So, like, God completely established, like, this community is a holy community, right? This is about God. It's not about how we make ourselves look. It's not about boasting about ourselves, right? This is about God and his mission, and we don't have time. Like, this mission is far too important because people are dying apart from God, and we are on mission to invite them into relationship with him. And, like, if we're just going to be here, like, showing off, like, look at me, look how great I am, guys, like, that, that's, we don't have time for that, right? And so great fear came upon all of them, that, right, it, it actually mentions this twice in this passage, that they just had, like, this awe and respect for who God is, so conclusion here, Jesus, all right, is our friend. The Holy Spirit comes in the same attitude and character as Jesus, okay? They are our friends, but they aren't like in the category of buddy. 
but just to kind of like possibly restore <laughs> your relationship with God because I don't want you to walk away thinking that God doesn't want anything to do with you, all right? Just in terms of what Jesus did, uh, Jesus, the Bible describes, is a friend of sinners. He is one that Proverbs describes is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? He is the one who, right, because God so loved the world, right, all people, that he sent his son, that those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? That, that God loves us so much, it says that in Romans, that he demonstrated his love for us. And the fact that he died for us, well, we were his enemies. Well, we were still sinners, okay? So like Jesus said it this way, John 15, greater love has no one than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus did that, not just for the apostles, right, but for you, right? Jesus did that for you and me. Even when, like, I wasn't interested, I didn't know, right, maybe even had animosity towards, Jesus died for, for me and you, all right? So, so God loves you abundantly. But we need to make sure that we place him in the right category, of treating him as holy and with honor, and that we don't just like, whenever we hear the word of God, we're not just like, well, I'll take that into consideration as well as the advice my friends or family are giving me. Like, we need to recognize that what he says is on an altogether different level than anything else, right? And that Jesus invites us into relationship. It says in Hebrews that we can boldly go before his throne of grace. So we're in the Old Testament, right? They... They had to be cautious of the presence of God that we now as believers, because it's his righteousness in us, not our own, that we can boldly go before the presence of God, right? That he is our father. So let's uh, pray real quick. And uh, at the end or during this song, uh, this last song we'll do, uh, if you want prayer, let's see, who are my prayer people today? I already forgot. I think Katie and Toby, or Toby might've had to head out to help someone. I don't think he was burying anyone. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, Katie and I would be glad to pray with you if, uh, if, if you have any needs. Uh, we'd love to support you that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your favor. Help us, Lord, to, to understand your love for us. Help us to also understand that you are God and just establish that in our hearts. Help us to be, uh, as we gather, not about ourselves, but, Lord, that we would love you with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, Lord, just to, to love and serve other people for their sake and not only so that we feel good about it. Help us, Lord, as your community to be about meeting the needs of others, that we would be generous, that we would meet the needs of fellow believers, and we'd also go into this community and show the abundant love that you've given us and that you invite them in as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see, so we got one more song. You guys can stand up, you can pray, do what makes sense for you.